You're listening to Couch Kicker. I'm your host, Jan Smalaga. This is a podcast about kicking your couch habit and pushing yourself further. Ooh, and welcome to another episode of Couch Kicker. I hope you're well. It has been a funny few weeks, hasn't it just? We're doing the lockdown hokey-cokey here in the UK, and I think it's mostly the same in most places around the world. You know, we've seen gyms closed, sporting events cancelled, and the cold weather and dark nights certainly in the UK are coming in. And all of that is a perfect recipe for just saying screw it and sitting on the sofa with a tub of ice cream and watching a bit of Netflix, which is perfectly fine. Um, I have done my fair share of that. I'm going to be honest, I've not been doing it too much recently. You know, I got my fill of that during the first lockdown, put on a few pounds. Um, But no, I've been doing this podcast for two months now. And that coincided with an aim to get fit, lose a bit of weight and generally be a little bit healthier. And I'm going to say things have been going well. I've managed to lose around a stone in weight. I went from just over 14 stone to 13 and a bit. And I've done that just by eating well lifting a few weights and generally I feel great and one of the things that's kept me focused is looking ahead to next summer you know I've got some travel plans uh, for next summer I was actually meant to be heading out to Borneo to climb Mount Kinabalu in February this year but that got cancelled due to the pandemic and then I had a trip to Machu Picchu in Peru Uh, that was cancelled for a bit later in the year so I've got some pent-up desire to get out there and take on a challenge of some kind and getting into shape and maintaining some form of fitness was helping alleviate some of that frustration for now i mean we'll see how i feel in the new year after what could potentially be another month or two of lockdowns you know i might just be like you know what i'm gonna get a few cans and some ice cream in and see how we get on one thing that has like stuck out to me during the last two months though is that You really do need to be like focused and organized if you want to commit to losing a few pounds or getting a bit leaner. You know, and I sort of copped out when I did this. I've not done it off my own back. I signed up basically to an online trainer who gave me a workout plan and meal plans and all that sort of thing, a little app on my phone. So I've had no like casual raiding of the fridge when I'm peckish. Um, because I've got to stick to this, you know, calorie intake, daily calorie intake and all that business. And, you know, three days a week, I'm having to find time, set aside two hours to work out three days a week. And that all takes planning, you know, with family commitments uh, and work commitments and so on. And in a weird way, the saving grace for this has been the lockdown because I've not had much of a social life. I don't think anyone has. Zoom quizzes don't count, don't care what you say. But it still required more willpower than... I've used in many, many years. You know, I've generally been a sort of like take it as it comes kind of guy. What's been encouraging for me though is that I've done it. I've not struggled. I've had a few days where I've gone off plan. I've had a few gins or a little bit of chocolate here and there, but otherwise I'm on track and I don't view those things as sort of like complete deviations from the plan. It's just, well, you know, you can have a little bit now and then, but generally stick on it and stay focused. You know, what I'd actually would like to do is get somebody on at some point to talk about like the psychology of this and share tips for how people can stay focused and on track when you're setting yourself some health goals. Um, and also what to do when you're bored of eating grilled turkey and avocado. Because look, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm sick of it. I've eaten more grilled turkey and avocado than I ever have done. No one should have to eat that much. Christmas turkey dinner does not sound appealing right now. Um, I'm not looking forward to that. 
Um, I've eaten so much turkey, it's unreal. I, I cannot emphasize enough how sick I am of grilled turkey. Uh, anyway, so if you're listening and you're a personal trainer or you think you can share some advice with the listeners, get in touch via our social media pages. Um, what are they, you ask? Well, it is at CouchKickerPod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And for everyone else, why not head over to at CouchKickerPod and give us a follow while you're at it, whatever platform you're listening on. Hit that subscribe button to receive a notification whenever there is a new episode. And I'll let you in on a little secret. If you do this, then our team of couch kicking elves will creep out of your phone or device while you sleep at night, and they will gently caress your face while whispering motivational speeches from some of the greatest sporting movies ever made into your ears. So when you wake up in the morning, you will feel invigorated and ready to kick your couch and face the day. Today's guest is a stand-up comedian, a world record-breaking rower, and a lovely man. Rob Coleman is a comedian with a penchant for endurance sports. He's run a sub-three-hour marathon and has also rode the Atlantic as part of the Talisco Whiskey Atlantic Challenge. It was on that row that his team broke the world record for the fastest crossing in a pure class boat. In this conversation, we discuss his record-breaking row, the impact of the pandemic on the event sector, and what he has planned next. Enjoy. So, Rob Coleman, thanks for joining me. How are you doing? I'm very good, thanks yourself. Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Uh, enjoying the last of the summer weather and the nice weather. It's currently tipping it down over here, so not not quite yet. No, but, uh, uh, whereabouts are you? And Leicestershire. Oh well, I'm in Nottinghamshire, so whatever's okay. at your end's probably coming this way. I must. Yeah, uh, there goes. Right, right, let's wrap this up. I'm off out for a walk. <laughs> <laughs> Right, nice. Well, thanks for coming on. Uh, can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? So I'm Rob Coleman. I am a semi-professional stand-up comic and promoter. I also have a sound and lights events company. And in my spare time, I do stupid endurance type things. Nice. Uh, a renaissance man in every aspect. <laughs> Something like that. So, yeah, I mean, as a performer then, you're working in the events industry and you're a, a comedian, uh, so you rely on kind of being out there to kind of really do events. Uh, how mm. has this summer been for you? Very quiet. It's been, it's been, my carbon footprint has plummeted. It's been amazing. <laughs> yeah, I think normal, everyone's has. Absolutely. Yeah, because normally I'd be doing 35,000 miles a year. Um, around the country doing gigs and stuff and i think i've done maybe 500 miles since march so it's, wow. it's astonishing how much it's gone down my caffeine intake has always dropped considerably so i only drink coffee to keep me awake so i'm going to drive my gigs my caffeine intake has gone to the floor so actually i'm much healthier than i was and the world's much healthier than it was for the pandemic frankly wow so your fuel consumption and your uh, caffeine intake so your heart will be uh, very thankful for you yeah it's about 30 bits a minute currently i think it's brilliant <laughs> wow yeah, isn't that clinically dead? I wish dead? it was. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's that's what I'm missing. Wow. So 35,000 miles uh, a year, uh, and mm. that's traveling to gigs. So you describe yourself as a semi-pro comedian. Um, yeah. I had a mate who played American football like right. every other Sunday, and he described himself as a semi-pro American football player. I mean, full-time accountant, but that's <laughs> a different league. If you're traveling that much to gigs, because I had a look on your gigs list, and even now you've got a lot coming up there. What's the difference with being a semi-pro and, and full pro or just you know rank amateur like myself i think the pro comics just make their living from comedy 
whether it's live performance or radio work or writing or doing tours or Zoom, whatever it is, they pretty much make living uh, just from comedy. Uh, some people call themselves pros it's only because the DSS subsidizes their meager earnings from comedy. People like myself, I might gig maybe three or four nights a week if it's going well. I run probably 60 shows a year myself as well, but it's 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 probably, comedy's probably 50, 60% of my income in total. So I make money from other sources. Wow. Okay. I've always, I've always wondered when you see somebody say the semi-pro, like, you know, Sunday league footballer saying, oh, well, I say I'm a <laughs> semi-pro footballer. It's like, no, nah, you just put on a jersey every weekend and go and have Absolutely. a kick about. Yeah. You know? yeah. I reckon I'm, I'm probably sort of maybe in football terms, maybe, I don't know, tier, what's that? Six, maybe Southern league, that sort of thing, you know? So I, I, I'm sort of a little bit below the, the national, maybe, maybe national league or something, possibly a little bit below the, um, yeah. the main pro stuff. So one of these teams that occasionally has a cop run, they come through, the keeper eats a pie on live TV and gets fined. Yeah, exactly. If I get to the first FA Cup qualifying round, I'm happy. Nice. Oh, that's good. That's really good. So um, the the events work of the pandemics kind of put the put the brakes on that, I think, for everyone. Yeah, um, And, you know, what, what are your thoughts on that? Do you see that there's kind of green shoots of recovery coming soon? Not really, no. Uh, we had a fantastic summer season, quite short, because we only got that to go out and play in July. Yeah. But the outdoor events went really, really well, and I think that next year they'll be back. I think we'll probably start earlier and run them for longer. And by outdoor, actually, you know, do mean outdoor, as in sitting, nothing between you and the stars, pretty much. Yeah. Um, we had our last gig of the summer. We had Marcus Brigstock come to close near Cambridge, and a hundred people sat in a rainstorm for an hour to watch him and no one left because they were so keen to get out and have entertainment. It wow. was absolutely wonderful. And a tribute, frankly, to our great British resilience at the same time. <laughs> Completely. And also yeah. the fact that yeah, more the fact that Marcus was on because obviously Marcus is brilliant and very Cambridge as, as an act. And I'd been on, they might have all buggered off home, but yeah, <laughs> so we, we, we shall never know. Um, so I think one good thing to come out of the pandemic, if anything can good come out of it, um, is that we'll be back next year doing many more outdoor events. Um, indoor, now the winter's coming and the weather's getting colder, it's so hard to, to find venues that are genuinely or can be made genuinely COVID secure. Yeah. A um, lot of pubs and clubs, they do their best, but inevitably the size of the place and people get a few drinks, sudden the mingling happens and you can't stay in your groups of six that you were supposed to. Um, I did my first indoor show last night and we had 60 people in a 180 seat venue, which is just about sort of cost effective, but the amount of work the venue got to put into it to make it secure was astonishing. Yeah. Now he had the space and he had the time and the staff to do it. If you're a publican on limited budget, you never the best world in the world going to be able to make that happen. It's um, tough. It's tough. I actually I work in sort of like events, challenge events. Um, mm. When I'm not, you know, who knew that a podcast doesn't pay the bills full time? <laughs> I'm a semi-pro podcaster, um, <laughs> except it pays not percent of my income. Uh, <laughs> so I was out on a, an event a couple of weeks ago uh, with the podcast sponsors, Action Challenge, mm. and they uh, ran an event over in the Chilterns. Had about 1,100 people come out there outdoors socially distanced face masks hand washing stations and it went it worked it was very good very successful yeah. but all those extra measures 
all add up you know in terms of extra cost and it's is that sustainable in the long term in the short term fine you can make those changes but smaller venues and smaller operators can they adjust in in much the same way and i think everyone's sort of scrabbling to find a way that works now with the rules as as they are i think my worry is that a lot of small venues understandably are desperate to make money and desperate to people come to the doors and buy beer wherever it is and they may well do their best but they might just turn a blind eye to people not staying in their bubbles or mingling and whatnot and of course which is how the virus occurs but the thing is if you're going to make if you're going to make venues close you have to support them Mm. you know god bless rishi he's doing his best but venues are viable and the arts are viable just not at the moment yeah no business is going to be viable if you say you take your customers away so exactly it's wildly unfair the government to say if you're not viable go and retrain because we will be viable when you let us be viable and at the moment, we, no, it's no one's fault. You know, obviously, virus. We've got to work our way around it. But the government's either got to give us, give the, give the sector money to 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 support uh, until we are viable again, or they've got to let's get on with it. And they can't do the latter because it's not safe. So yeah. they best stump up because the arts is such a critical part of our of our of of the British way of life. Obviously, comedy is my close to my heart, but you know, music and theatre and all you know, everything else that goes with that sort of stuff. It's such an, an important, such so good for mental health, apart from anything else. Absolutely. It's I mean, really one thing important. that struck me on the on this event was it's not just the company who put it on. You know, it's all the suppliers who come along. You know, it's the caterers, the generators, the seating hire, the. Yeah. the people who bring the portaloos you know if you're in a theater it's the people who work the lights the sound desk the ushers in the ticket office and if all those people go off and retrain fine the theater's still going to be there yeah and everything opens up again but there's going to be no one to staff it or there will be but they're all brand new and things are going to take a much longer time to get back up to speed yeah you can't just i mean it it did he did row back on it but it seemed to me that um he actually effectively damned the whole arts and culture sector in one sentence almost mm. saying if you you know we might well you might say to anyone if, if, if we close you down you're viable sunshine you know it's kind of how it works isn't it yeah i mean it's one I thing think, we do very very well in this country is arts and yeah. culture you know from theater to music to comedy to art yeah. you know there's a lot that goes on and i think it's something like the fifth most profitable sector of the UK economy. So, I mean, that's something that you need to yeah. look at and say, you know, events, arts, culture, we need to ring fence this and protect it. So when things do open up, and I think like you said about people coming to that gig that was outdoors and they sat in the rain, people have been cooped up for a long time. And when yeah. this does kind of pass and open up, they're going to be itching to get back out there. Completely, completely. I mean, my hope is that once the vaccine comes in, which maybe will be spring next year for lucky, and people feel confident about going out again into and we all the restrictions disappear next year is going to be a bumper year for all the arts and all the entertainment but we've just got to be kept alive until that point yeah i think anyone I mean, in I, that sort of live event sector is looking at next year because you've got all the deferred bookings and whether you run a venue that hosts weddings um, gigs or anything, you've got all these postponed dates from this summer, plus all the new ones for next year. I mean, it's, it's yeah. like you say, a bumper year if yeah. everyone can just ride it out 
exactly. over the next sort of five, six months, however long yeah. it's going to take. But we need help to do that. You know, yeah. this, we can't be left because people will retrain and we'll be, they'll be lost. There'll be, some, there'll be some brilliant people, technicians, designers, lighting people, whatever, who just won't come back because they've got their little retrained using the government's wonderful retraining app. Um, and you know, they'll be lost to the, to the industry, which would be absolute tragedy. I mean, yeah. I, I have 12 venues of which two have been sold. I know for a fact won't open again. And I think the other eight, maybe six, I know just, just are too small. or haven't got the resources to, to make COVID secure nights in the time being. So, you know, and, and you kind of, you go, you want to, obviously you want to go and gig, but you're a little bit wary of where you're going to end up and is it going to be secure? And there's, you know, there's, there's a lack of confidence, I think, amongst, amongst everyone, performers and audiences alike. Yeah, I think once that confidence starts to come back and I think there are still people out there who are just like, you know, I don't care, give me the virus, I just want to go out and do a comedy <laughs> show or, you know, go off and, you know, take a holiday. I mean, the day they opened up the flights back out to Spain, you know, the planes were packed. So there's people who want to, you know, get get out there and do it, whether that's right or wrong is another discussion. But sure. I think the broader population, you know, it's that slow return of confidence. And I'm, I'm hopeful that by next summer, you know, we'll kind of be back up and running um across the board or in some form of new normal whatever that that yeah. kind of looks like so this summer what what have you been doing you've not been driving you've not been drinking coffee what have you been doing to keep yourself occupied my life has been empty and bereft frankly oh uh, dear there's, there's nothing else to it really it's i i did i did actually spend the first couple of months almost in a state of mourning frankly because yeah. it was it was such a culture shock um i got a lot more sleep though so that was a result <laughs> um i've been trying to write with with very degrees of success doing a lot of fitness stuff so i've been keeping myself in, in good shape which is which i've actually quite enjoyed because a lot of people have found um lockdown quite a temptation to put on a few pounds yeah i i'm one of those uh are you I've, yeah <laughs> joe wicks might deserve his mbe but uh not, not <laughs> through any part that i played in it <laughs> You weren't one of his ten thousand followers there. No, no. Up down front so, so what? What was your regime during the lockdown to kind of stay, stay sort of in shape? Uh, in that respect, nothing really changed. What I was doing before, I was training maybe five six days a week. So, doing a couple of weight sessions, a couple of rowing sessions, and maybe a couple of sessions on the bike as well. So, it was just a nice variety. And of course, the weather was so glorious; it was just a joy to get out into. Yeah, I, I certainly found towards the end of, of the summer, uh, or so at the end of the lockdown, when you know it was you're allowed out once a day for a piece of exercise. I would never go for a walk in my local park, but by golly, I was getting my one walk a day in my local <laughs> park. It's like, you know, I can only have one. Fine, I'm off for an hour. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it, it was strange to kind of pick that up because the whole point of this podcast is, I am a lazy man. Like I, I don't right. mind admitting that. And I went to ruin at the start of lockdown, just made no effort to kind of stay in shape. Yeah. So part of this reason this podcast exists is because I just wanted to speak to people like you who had that mindset when lockdown hit. Say, no, I'm going to walk out five days a week. I'm going to, you know, row. I'm going to do weights. I'm going to kind of stay trim and, and hopefully feel a bit more in, inspired to, to do a yeah. bit more myself. You are, the, you are the Ricky Hatton of, of, of the adventure world. Just in between the fights <laughs> you let yourself go, go to both... the pot a compliment and an insult but i'll take it <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned you were you were rowing during the lockdown to stay in mm. shape which kind of segues quite neatly onto nicely, uh, nicely. the thing that kind of we first mate. got in touch because i put a call out saying look i'm looking for people who've done 
interesting things and I was scrolling down my inbox and one popped up that said, you know, I rode across the Atlantic, broke a world record. Um, I'm also a comedian. I thought, great, here we go. So t tell me about that. Blimey, it's uh, where do you want to start, really? I mean, this this is this is a saga that goes back probably or 20, 20, 17 years now, I imagine. It didn't take you that long to row, though. No, it didn't. No, that would have been, <laughs> that would have been a world record of some description, but not quite that long yeah. was after. Um, I was, um, when I first got in, into entertainment, I started managing bands. That's how I began promoting band nights. And I kind of knew that it wasn't enough for me that I wanted to be on stage, but I was also terrified of the prospect. So I'd always done, you know, I've, I've done marathons and I've done John O'Groats land down on the bike a couple of times and so on. So, but I wanted to do something extraordinary, mainly, frankly, as a way of getting out, having to go on stage. So it would be less frightening to do a, a mega adventure. It would be to stand on stage. That was, that was my thinking. I, I can uh, completely empathize with that. <laughs> And I, kept, I was Googling adventures and as you, well, whatever Google was back in the, because back, we're talking sort of narrow band internet at that point. And so things took quite a long time to, to appear. Remember though, you just go, do ding 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 as you connect to you. Oh, that, that, that kind of screeching modem noise. Exactly. Yeah, yeah that's the way. Yeah, absolutely. So it was, it was back in, that's how long ago it was. Wow. And then somebody upstairs I, picks up the phone and cuts you off. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly what it was like. And I came across this thing that said ocean rowing. Right. And I thought, that can't be a thing. You cannot take an ocean rowing, a rowing boat across an ocean. That is just completely insane. So I was immediately hooked by that. Now, bear in mind, I've never rowed in my life before. Um, so that's, which is a mere detail in the scheme of things, as it turns yeah. out. Um, but I did some research and I discovered that actually it was a thing. And then uh, I was, so I wrote to the guy who, who ran organized events. Uh, we used to go from the Canaries across to, uh, to Barbados, which was the, is the approved route. Yeah. And about a week later, there was a piece in my local paper which said, could you row an ocean with this man? And there was a bloke with an ocean rowing boat who was looking for a new partner because the original partner had pulled out. And this was complete and coincidence. This is precisely it. And I thought, you know what? That is fate. That is, that is yeah. right there. That is fate. This is meant to be. So I went to see him and because obviously he wanted to interview a few people. And uh, let's just say I said, we said, yes, we would do it as a team. And yet from the moment I first met him, I knew this was a terrible idea. <laughs> what what uh, gave you those signals? Because we were just completely incompatible. Right. Personality-wise. Yeah, yeah. And if you're going to spend nine weeks in a well, one other person in a 25-foot by 7-foot space, you kind of need to get on For to sure. a certain extent. Yeah, yeah. And it was a horrible preparation because we didn't see eye to eye on anything, a horrible build-up in the Canaries and Nagamera, which is one of the westernmost Islands. They drop you off in the west on the west island. That way you can literally sort of drop off almost into the ocean, into the current straight away. I've got the circumnavigate away around the islands and stuff. Yeah. And three weeks in, it became clear that there was going to be a murder on board unless one of us got off. Wow. How much time and... had you spent together before you got in the boat? Like, were you, did you have right. the sense it's... before you set off, or was this something well, that I'd... came to the fore when you were already out there? <laughs> 
Well, bear in mind that from the moment I met him, I knew I knew this wasn't really viable. But my desire to cross the ocean was overriding everything. Um, you know, it's like marrying wildly someone wildly unsuitable. You think just I'm going to go with that and make it work. I'm going to turn up the altar and get married to this person. But you know, deep down, it's just a terrible idea. And indeed a terrible idea but nonetheless i persevered with it uh, just it just looking back on it you think what the hell are you doing yeah because i have a i have i have quite a good radar for i'm not going to get on with which is most people because i'm not really a very social person <laughs> not really not one of the nice people pleasers um but you know we we kind of for about three months before the row went because we were he was doing the boat stuff and I was doing the fundraising and so on, which yeah, on one level is fine, but I probably should have known a bit more about what I was doing. Yeah. And of course, this was this was back in the this was it was gloriously run. It was proper old English gentleman and a really really sweet guy called Ken. Unfortunately, died a few years ago, but a lovely lovely guy. Um, his principle was that uh, you would learn everything you need to know about Ocean Ranger in the first three weeks of the crossing. Yeah, Just there was no the preparation job. at all. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, you know, I, I didn't know because these days, of course, you've got to do sea survival courses and navigation and this. I didn't have to do any of that. Wow. I, you know, I didn't have to. I didn't know sea survival. Didn't do any navigation. Didn't do first aid. Nothing at all. We just got in a boat and went. And it was, and one way it was it was glorious. And very much an yeah. empire spirit. Very much. Yeah. Look so was this just the, the two of you? Was this a bigger organized row? Were there other people also? There were yeah, it was it was part of a proper organized event. Yeah. But what but what you find is that the row is the ocean's such a big place and your rowing boat is maybe two feet, three feet off water, off the top of the water. Yeah. You don't see a soul. Yeah. Because you're just your your field division is about two miles. Um, and you don't see anyone. It's just astonishing how how alone you are out there. So there could but, be someone, you know, five hundred yards or another boat really close by, but yeah. they're just kind of hidden by the by waves. The, so you... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, by the way, troughs and you're in a trough and they're in the trough and you never see them. Wow. Yeah, you know, all you've got is the person who you're with. And given that we didn't see eye to eye from, <laughs> from, the, from the moment we met, it wasn't the ideal scenario, to be honest. But, wow. Um, so, so three weeks in, you thought there's mm. going to be a murder here. What, what, how did that kind of resolve itself? I decided I had to get off. Pre presumably, because... you had alternative arrangements. You didn't just jump out like sea didn't later. Just jump out. No, was, I had to swim, swim for the shore. I mean, we yeah. were, we were probably about a um, thousand miles off. The coast of west africa by that point wow but fortunately um there are support that there are there are events come with support yachts yeah so we waited and wasted eventually the support yacht pitched up and took me off and took me back to uh, to cape verde i went to in the end and then flew to portugal spent around a couple of night on floor lisbon airport and then flew home wow so i mean you're waiting for this boat to come and catch you up you've already said you're leaving that's yeah. going to be an awkward wait for the yacht to turn up <laughs> You can imagine just like living with your ex. You just split up with him, but you can't move out because yeah. there's nowhere to go. Yeah, and obviously ten times smaller because you can't you can't even escape. Into this. There's no second. There's no room to slam a door into. So you kind of yeah. Stuck how, how big are these boats? There's two of you on a boat. Just describe what that space is like. Right. So roughly speaking, the two people boats are 24 feet by five feet. Okay. And I'm trying to of, picture that of that 20 yeah of that 24 feet probably. 10 feet, 12 feet maybe is cabins, 
for you to sleep in, electrics to go in, and everything else. Sure. So it's probably about 12, 12 to fourteen feet of actual deck space. Okay, so when now, you say cabins, are these sort of fully equipped on suite with a flat screen TV? <laughs> not entirely. Not entirely. They are. Um, they come with uh, nice rubber mats on which to sleep. Oh. They come with an amazing amount of heat because there's nothing to deflect the sunshine just goes straight through the top of the cabin so they're very 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 sweaty wow um they come they do they do come with a door you get in and out of which is handy and that's pretty much it um the ensuite is outside uh we call it a bucket but call it ensuite if you want to mate that makes you feel better <laughs> you know you, you, you can call it that if you want to it's 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 not a lifestyle for those who like their luxuries I don't think. sure so you say the boat's sort of three feet off the top of the water. Presumably it's under the water as well. So these cabins, you don't walk in there, presumably you crawl in. No, you crawl in, absolutely right. And most of them you can't, it's only you, could, you can't turn around in. Yeah. So once you kind of go in the plate, you know, when we used to go in, we used to, I used to go in backwards Yeah. and just fall asleep. So my head would be, the idea being that I, if, I, if we want to get out in a hurry, I'm probably best facing the way I want to get out rather than the other way around. Sure, sure. So that you're on this boat, it's moving around you in this tiny little space. This isn't an endeavour for anyone remotely with feelings of claustrophobia. Or actually agoraphobia as well, weirdly, because you you are so far removed from anywhere else in the world. You know, you, you come out of that cabin and probably the nearest person to you could be 500 miles away. Wow. So, yeah, it's, it's the, the worst or the best of both. Exactly that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. completely. Yeah. So that that row uh, ended after three weeks, and then mm. fast forward. Was it twenty eighteen? You did the successful row across the Atlantic. Yeah, I mean, I was I was never going to get in a boat again after because I hated it so much. Yeah. Um, and then uh, about six seven years ago, I was out on my bike and I fell off my bike and I didn't bounce like I normally do. I ended up breaking my hip. Ouch. Which was slightly unfortunate. Uh, yeah and then for reasons that a wage cover go into unbroken hip gave me a blood clot and the blood clot exploded one day without me realizing it and i came within an hour of dying i was wow. bleeding I, literally, I was literally bleeding out and i didn't know i just thought typical blow i thought oh, that that all that black poo is me i've, I've eaten a really bad curry the night before that's all it is oh geez and i was bleeding to death and i didn't realize a mother half came down and said this is not right we've got to get to the hospital yeah so we got to the hospital, and seven weeks, seven pints of blood later, uh, I was on the mend, and it kind of makes you think what you haven't done, really. For sure, and, yeah. Uh, so I I wrote out this thing I wanted to do, and much to my horror, the top of the list was Rowan Ocean, <laughs> and I just this can't be right. I told the list start and left it. We came back to it and wrote this and bloody hope it was still there, top of the top of the top of the list. Yeah. So I thought I'd, because I wasn't quite sure the hip was going to take it because it was a proper major, it's got, I've got a pin in my hip now permanently. Mm. So I did a um, little four-day row from Ibiza to Barcelona, which is, again, well-organized and stuff, just see how it felt, really. Yeah. And that was that was quite fun. I enjoyed that. I thought, well, that's it. I've got to go now. So 2016, I began the process of trying to find a crew to do it as a four. Uh, from Connecticut. Things have moved on, obviously, in, in the 11, intervening 11, 12 years. And um, it was a much more, a much more professionally organized event. Uh, and you had to, I had to do all the courses this time. 
I couldn't go, oh, just jumping in a boat and go. They, they scrutinized everything. Yeah, health and safety culture had moved in. Completely, yeah. yeah. Um, but it was good, I mean, I, and, we, and so we found a crew and we got started from there. Wow, so did you, was it a conscious decision to go for a crew of four rather than two this time based on your previous experience? Yeah, I think partly because um, in a crew of two, only one of you pulls out, I didn't feel comfortable to be a solo rower. Yeah. Because those guys, it'll take 90 odd days to get across and you're on your own the whole time. There's no one to rely on but yourself. And that, plus the mental health aspect of that, I think is absolutely terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, that, that feeling of A, being just out there in the middle of a big wide ocean, but B, when days are tough, you can kind of share things with, with a crew who you get along with. I imagine if you don't necessarily you get would along host, with yeah. your partner, it's a different exactly. story. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So and so, so rowing solo was not an option. I could not cope with that in mental health terms, in technical terms, anything really. So that was an option. Yeah. So the four gives you cover. And also I think four is, is a respectable crew number in which to go. I wouldn't, do, I wouldn't want to do it any, any larger numbers than that because it just seems... There was, there's a, a top diminishing returns, isn't there, in terms of how good you feel about what you've done compared with the number of people that you've, you've rowed with. Sure, sure. So a crew of four, how does that work in terms of rowing? Is there someone constantly rowing then and you rotate sort of shifts? Yeah. You row two on, two, well, theoretically, the, the, the conventional way is to row two hours on, two hours off. Right. So you, you swap over every two hours. We actually did two hours on, one hour off with a great big five-hour gap of, for proper, proper sleep yeah every day which for me worked really really well because i just really valued that chance for the body to recover yeah because you're doing two on two off you're only going to get 90 at 90 minutes sleep at best by the time you've got yourself in the cabin had something to eat wipe yourself down get the sweat off you maybe answer a couple of emails you might get 90 minutes of sleep and for seven or eight weeks that's not a lot of sleep yeah. Are there any off days then? You say that's the routine. So two hours on, one hour off, five hours for sleep. Do you ever have a day where you're like, look, lads, let's just put our feet up and take a break? Certainly not. How could you even suggest such a thing? It's a horrific suggestion. Theoretically, no. I mean, if the wind's against you, those things will not row into the wind at all. So you're much better off putting the putting the anchor up, putting yeah. the power anchor up and just not and holding your position. Um, and the second crossing, on Christmas Day, we had a couple of days when we couldn't row. So we just sat in the boat and it was lovely but theoretically you're not supposed to have any days off you just you just plow on yeah um it, it depends of course how you want to do it i mean some guys some there was a, one of the solo rowers just just titted about for 90 days he it was amazing he'd sent pictures swimming with dolphins and looking at whales and didn't actually do much rowing i don't think <laughs> um but some guys you know the really hench guys are just driven they want to smash it out and get it across really quickly so they just drive themselves on and get it done in about 30 days wow 30 days yeah, I think the record. I think the record is twenty nine days or thereabouts, which is just astonishing. But oh, nice. you got to have winds and everything in your favour to make that work. But it's, yeah. it's a hell of a thing. I um I had Dean Stott, a guy called Dean Stott, on uh, a few weeks ago, and he mm -hmm. cycled the Pan American Highway. Oh wow! Um, he went like south to north, so from Argentina all the way up to Alaska, and he yeah. talks about sort of playing chess with Mother Nature. Um, so looking at the wind, seeing where the wind directions is, and I think he kind of hit lucky a couple of times where he just got these really strong tailwinds that helped <laughs> push him on to beat. He broke a world record there. He cycled the whole thing in under a hundred days, first man to That's do it. But you know, the, the weather was on his side there. 
that yeah, can play yeah, yeah. a big factor. I mean, you were out there for how many, how many days did the row take you? Just under 51 days. 51 days. So you're going to see a lot of different types of weather out there. Um, did, did you kind of have any conditions where you looked out the, you know, came out of your cabin and looked out and thought, oh, this, this doesn't look good? Oh, yeah. There were plenty of times of that because you, you, can, you can hear the rain coming down around you. And they, you get a 10-minute warning to get yourself kitted out, ready to go. And you think, I don't want to go out in there because you yeah. can absolutely hear it hammering down. And there were times, a couple of occasions, when we got caught right in the middle of a proper electrical storm. Wow. And the rain is absolutely, it's like being in a shower. The rain is hammering down. And all these electrical current, all these uh, lightning bolts are coming down. You're thinking, we are the highest bit of metal for quite some distance around. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of, but you know, what can you do? You you can't just go indoors and call it off for the night. You can't just, the boat's still going to be there. You've got to crack on, yeah. Exactly. That must look like a, a video for some heavy metal song. You're just out there yeah. and the waves and there's lightning striking the sea. Absolutely. It's on basic level, you're going to be pretty impressed to see that firsthand. It is really visceral, actually. You, you, you makes you feel about sort of so high when it comes to that sort of thing because you just, you, you're entirely the most mother nature at that point. You have no say in what's going to happen to you the next couple of hours while the, while the, while the storm rages. You let it pass over and hope it doesn't do too much damage in the meantime. Yeah. You mentioned you were kind of responding to emails when you're in the cabin. So you must have had an internet connection. So did you have weather reports? Did you get kind of updates on, on what to expect? Yeah, we got weather reports, which were varying degrees of accuracy, shall we say. Right. Um, we actually had, by and large, a really calm crossing, uh, which wasn't ideal because the way I look at it is the, the more scared you are, the, the faster you go, roughly speaking, because the, the bigger the winds and the bigger the waves, which will help push you across. Yeah. And we, the sea was sluggish and the winds weren't great the whole way across. And we did every straying stroke was like, well, not the time, like running through treacle. So we kind of earned our, our crossing, I think, in that respect. Um, but we, it was good. Yeah, it was good to be able to keep in contact with people. I lost a client while I was out there because oh. you wonder, you wonder why I wasn't responding to emails fast enough. I tried explaining him where I was, but he wasn't having any. So that was one part of that. <laughs> I'm in the middle of the Atlantic. Yeah, sure you are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, he wasn't entirely convinced. Wow. So, but we had sponsors who wanted videos and stuff for what we were doing and everything else. Was it like satellite connection? Is that good enough to kind of share some pictures and? Yeah, they do a thing called a BGAN, um, right. which is quite a clunky bit of kit, but it enables you to send video. Uh, you, you hold it basically a little dish above your head, yeah. and eventually it'll log on to three or four satellites, and you can send the stuff from there. So it's probably not strong enough to stream Netflix, but you can... No, I also think yeah. data costs might be quite substantial probably as well. Uh, yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> uh, roaming charges would be pretty significant. They would, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, four of you in a small boat out there in the middle of the ocean, is mm -hmm. there any privacy uh, there, or are you just all in each other's pockets for those 51 days? Yeah, that's, there is no privacy at all. Again, if you're someone who doesn't like to poo in public, it's probably not a crossing for you, Yeah, I think. Um, so you're going to bond very, very closely with your crew. Yeah, very closely and very quickly because they will see all your wobbly bits. They will see you are very, very worse. They will see you at your best. They will see you pooing. They will see you washing your your, your bits. You know, and it's it's uh, it's it, I mean, given how secluded you are, it's an amazingly public event in lots of ways. Yeah, very public amongst the people on the boat. Very private for everyone. Exactly. Everyone else. Quite.
Um, yeah. So the four of you are in that boat. You must uh, have kind of spent some time with them before you set out. You mentioned the mental health aspect's important. How did you kind of bond before you set out and how did you kind of support each other when you were out there on the row? We spent lots of weekends together um, working on the boat, uh, training in the boat. We went spent, we were at the Isle of Wight and back in the, in the channel and whatnot. And that's actually really helpful because partly because all of us came at this from quite low, quite high level of ignorance. The, the guy, when I did the two, the guy was much more, was way ahead of me because he had worked for a long time. So he knew the boat inside out, but the four of us could learn together, which is quite nice in a way, because we, we, we weren't ashamed to say, I don't know how this works, because none of us did. So we kind of found out together, which was lovely. Yeah. Um, and we spent, we did some courses. We did, you know, spent a couple of weeks in, in Tynmouth doing a big ocean rowing course and other bits and pieces. So you you kind of, you know, I'm, I'm not sure be best friends with people, but you get to the point where you can work with them for a, number of weeks and in fact being best friends for you start isn't always ideal because people tend to fall out and it's it's a good way to ruin the friendship in some ways yeah you so, almost need to treat it like a work relationship like a professional partnership because exactly you're more yeah. likely to call someone out if they're not pulling the weight or yeah. you know not not yeah. quite doing things in a way that benefits the team whereas if it's a friend yeah. you're more likely to let stuff like that slide or when you do bring it up emotions will come into it a lot more yeah yeah, exactly, because yeah, you're my best friend and whatever, you know, blah, blah, blah. There is a story, I don't know if it's true or not, that there were two guys running across an ocean and halfway across one of them told the other one his wife. Pick your moment. Well, I was going to say, I would, I mean, I hope it's true because it's a great story, but I don't <laughs> see how it, I don't see how it can be because it, you'd never do it halfway across. You'd wait through the other side, surely, before you. Yeah, yeah, or, or you know, a don't do that or b yeah wait well, till well, you hit the other yeah. side don't do that that kind of be the first my first suggestion you're absolutely right yeah, yeah i think uh, that that's somebody with a death wish who just wanted to go out like fredo in the godfather three you know just out in the lake. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> yeah but we we got out to camara and i did not want to be there at all so we were surrounded by you know because there are without getting too geeky about this there are two types of boats we had a quite an old-fashioned boat, which is what we wanted to do it in because it made it made it better for us to yeah. make it more achieving as a crossing. But the newer boats are designed all the way around so they get much more wind assistance. Okay. And you got all these world record breakers and big hench guys, you know, sort of muscle types who was going out there going smash the row, destroy the ocean, rawr. and we sit there going, oh that's all right, we're fine, we'll just do our thing, yeah, don't worry about us, <laughs> yeah. We were four four ordinary blokes, or four sorry, three ordinary blokes, and one ordinary woman, um, yeah. in a, in a boat, and we just got on with it. But it was, I just found the whole experience, because it's 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 sponsored by Talisker Whiskey, and it's quite a big public event, and they want you to go, you know, tits and teeth, and go and do PR and everything else. And I just wanted to crawl under a rock, frankly. Yeah. I just I hated the whole the whole two weeks in Gomera so much. So you uh, had to do a sort of round of PR before you've even set off in the boat. Yes, completely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I just got overwhelmed by the um, by the by the party, by the guys who were who were clearly the, the favourites to win the race and were loved by the organisers because they looked they were good looking guys and they had a sleek boat that was beautiful to to watch and in action and so on. And there was us four sort of middle aged, early middle aged people in a slightly scratchy 
old-fashioned rowing boat kind of messing you know dirting up the scene roughly speaking you know, like, yeah. so this was like the the rowing equivalent of the film cool runnings exactly that yeah, yeah precisely that yeah, well, yeah <laughs> you don't we, know we which do. one of you had the egg in your pocket <laughs> fortunately none of us <laughs> which i'm eternally Wow. Um, so you mentioned that there's some people like solo rowers who are out there sort of cavorting with dolphins and, and yes. whales and so on. Did you spot much in the way of wildlife? Yeah, we did. Uh, we saw lots of whales, lots of dolphins, uh, flying fish, which were just amazing to watch. So acrobatic. Uh, the flying fish would end up in our boat quite a lot. We all got clashed in the back of the head by at least one during the crossing. Blimey. How big are they? Sometimes, uh, they vary. I mean, they look, the baby ones are maybe three or four inches long. Right. But the weak ones can get up to about three or four times that. Oh, blimey. So you're going to feel that hit you in the head. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they're beautiful as well. They are stunning to look at because the wings are iridescent. and They're just amazing to, to have on the boat. Obviously, they all die, but, you know, can't help that. Um, so we saw a lot of those. We saw a lot of turtles. Um, we saw a lot of birds, weirdly enough, just hundreds of thousands, you know, thousands of miles out of the ocean. You live on the ocean. Wow. I don't know how they do it, but it was just extraordinary. Well, like, what albatross or yeah albatrosses and skewers and that sort of stuff just wow. out there doing their thing just amazing but the best thing of all was the stars yeah no um, light pollution right exactly that you couldn't be further away from land if, if you tried or light pollution if you tried pretty much hmm. and you look up at the stars and you just go oh, okay that's how unimportant i am in the scheme of things wow uh but they were amazing and we saw the uh, the international space station we saw that a few times because that would come over every night yeah and when when the night was calm when the sea was calm and there was no wind just to be out rowing on a warm night in the start amongst the stars and the moon above you just the best place on earth to be that that does sound incredible i imagine it's silent as well completely silent yeah you might hear the occasional splash as a flying fish tries to escape some bigger prey or something but um yeah by and large it was just serene actually because the ocean could be amazingly calm absolutely like a mill pond yeah sometimes and it's like another world out there actually extraordinary incredible so when you're doing say the night shift on on the oars um mm. you're, you're presumably focused on the task at hand so in terms of your leisure time would it that just be fire off a few quick emails and then sleep or yeah. was the nights where you know a, a game of cards would get going uh, below no. deck some sea no, shanties no. being sung. <laughs> no when we, when we when we were planning it we had these great designs that were after every ship we'd have a cup of tea and just have a chat and so on um so we took a jet boil and some gas with us um and we bought the jet boil and the gas was back completely unused because as it turns out when you finish all you want to do is go to sleep yeah you're not interested in, in, in talking to anyone or playing cards or even having a cup of tea. You just want to get get in your pit and close your eyes. Yeah. You've got to back, you've got to back at it again in an hour's time unless, you get, unless you're on your four or five hour shift. It's exhausting. I, I can imagine. So, I mean, so you didn't have no, no cups of tea, no brews. You Nothing, no. presumably have to carry all of your food for the 51 days on there. What, yeah. What's on the menu on a, on a transatlantic road? Mm, food is yummy. Lots and lots of dried food, mm. Mm, mm, mm. Um, which you said add water to and leave it to settle for a couple of hours. And it's actually, I, I really quite enjoyed it, but then I have appalling tasting food. So I'm probably the first person to ask about that. But, <laughs> right. 
Um, so are these like freeze dried, like army type rations? Exactly. Packs? That. Yeah, yeah, lots of uh, frozen, uh, freeze dried fish and pasta and chili con carne and spaghetti bolognese, that sort of thing, and macaroni cheese. Yeah, They're all close approximations of, of same. Just surprisingly tasty. And on top of that, the best thing, of course, is tons and tons and tons of snacks. Yeah, which is the You're most completely guilt free as well. Absolutely, you can burn it off because they reckon you get through about six, seven thousand calories a day. Blimey! When you're doing this, so what? What's a boy going to do but eat chocolate all day? You know, it has to be well, done. Why not? I mean, it's a fairly uh, e- e- um, extravagant means of sort of getting the the free pass to eat as much chocolate as you want. But you know, <laughs> however you want to do it. So I you say mean, you, yeah. you cook the meals with water. You're surrounded by salt water. Uh, I'm guessing yep. you don't carry your water with you. So how do you extract drinkable water from the ocean? We have a desalinator on board no idea how it works you know, i think it involves membranes right um the salt water comes through comes up from the from the sea and gets filtered by some clever process and comes out drinkable wow i don't know how it works i don't care how it works the fact that it works that's all that matters really. you just know it does work and, and exactly that's the most important the part exactly that yeah 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 because it was so hot you just let you left the um you put the water into, into the packet leave the packet for a couple of hours and it would come back perfectly raised to eat the shift. So, so you didn't have to heat it. The water comes out of the ocean warm enough to cook with. The, so the water in the ocean is quite warm. We actually went swimming a couple of times, and that's the thing. When you're when you're when you're swimming and there's three miles of water below you, that's quite a thing as well. That kind of yeah, you know, a little bit freaky. But so again, some amazing. Kind of base primal level fear of uh, what's yeah. waiting down there. The deep is coming to get you at some yeah. point or other. Yeah, yeah. Are, are the... Sorry, oh, the, the, the water, when you put the water in the sunshine, we'll just, we'll just heat it up for you over two hours. So it was... Got you. Yeah. Are, are there any uh, large beasts out there? Are the sharks in the Atlantic? There are sharks, yes. Yeah. And there Did are, you spot yes, any? Uh, it's hard to tell because what, what's the dog, what's a shark fin, what's a dolphin fin? Yeah. For the purpose of the podcast, I'm going to say, yes, we saw hundreds, but I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't entirely swear to it. Yeah. We, did see a lot of, we did see a lot of whales, though. A lot of whales. Wow. Who were very interested in us, um, a little bit too interested. Possibly, there was another crew in our a solo row in our in our race, who got followed for three days by an orca. Okay. Which is, I have no idea. We don't we don't know why the orca followed her. Whether it was a boy or a girl orca, whatever it was, but I can imagine it might be quite scary if you're on your own because obviously if they if they felt some kind of breached on your boat, you are you're a goner. Oh, they're, they're big, big creatures. And I've seen videos of them, yeah. you know, tormenting like seals, throwing them up in the air. So you don't want them to oh, yeah. mistake you for a seal and have a bit of fun time. No, no they're not. They're not They're not the most compassionate creatures. They? They're not the most uh, yeah. people who want to spend some time with. Really. But yeah. again, magnificent creatures. Very much so. So you saw some whales. So d- describe that for me when you saw your first whale. What was that like? It was something we had a little list of things we wanted to to do or or see, and that was one of them. And that time we all did stop rowing, actually, just to watch them go past. And they played with us. They were just they were they were just playing with the boat, really, not playing with the boat, was playing around the boat. Yeah. And they were just incredibly graceful, and elegant, and serene, and completely knew that they were kings of the environment, and we were slightly straggle-toothed invaders and we didn't know what they were doing they were just gliding through the ocean and breaching and just you know this is that this is our playpen guys you know what yeah. the hell are you doing here this is just 
Well, excuse Amazing. me, are you lost? Well, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 completely. Just very humbling, actually, to see them in their element and magnificent creatures. Just That's brilliant. incredible. Did you take a camera? Did you manage to capture any of these moments? Uh, we took cameras. Unfortunately, none of those moments are sufficiently uh, well well photoed yeah. to be of any use to anyone, which is a, which is a real shame because it, it would love it to, it's kind of serendipity whether you get a good picture or not of a whale, clearly, because it's moving through the ocean at, at some speed. And sure. we did most of it, but um, it's all up here, so that's good. The most important place for it to be. Exactly that. Yeah, exactly. and I find with moments like that, especially when there's a, a strong emotional attachment to it, a photograph doesn't necessarily do it justice. It's just a flat yeah. image, whereas in that moment you've got feelings of exhaustion, you're tired, you're yeah. apprehensive about the row ahead, and then suddenly this whale comes up and it's like, oh, wow, there we go. Yeah, so a photo is never going to capture that as as you no. remember it. No, I'm not a fan of photos for that very reason. They're all the best memories in my head. And, the, and you say a picture will never create, create that, that excitement and the, and the adrenaline that flows when you see something that amazing. Yeah. Uh, I had a friend who uh, went to see the Northern Lights and just was blown away by it, but was incapable of capturing a decent picture of it. It's just, you know, every picture he showed was thoroughly underwhelming, like nothing like <laughs> the, the tourism brochure pictures. Sometimes it's best to put the camera away and, and just take it in. Just, just be in the moment. Yeah. Just be as close as you can get to being one with nature. Yeah, I think I think sometimes it's, it's you know, I'm going to sound like an old man here, but sometimes you'll be out <laughs> on, you know, on a adventure up a mountain do, doing something and you know there'll be a sunrise or there'll be a moment and rather than just kind of sit and enjoy it the temptation is and i feel it definitely is to reach in your pocket get your phone out get your camera out and attempt to record it the best example of that is concerts you know when people film yes. a gig and they're down at the front and you think when do you ever watch that back i know it's just 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 enjoy the moment just be in it yeah it's extraordinary because I, I I only acquired my very first smartphone about four months ago. Oh well, welcome to the future. I, 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 thank you very much. It's a little bit terrifying, but we're working with it. Because yeah. um, I've always for that yeah you know, I always thought people spent too much time on their phones. I wasn't looking at Facebook. I was out of gigs the whole time. But I don't actually quite like it. Don't tell you I do actually quite like it. Now I've got it. Yeah. But the temptation now, of course, now I can take photos. It, the temptation to pick up your phone and take a photo of everything, but it does it does make me drive me mad you see you know um recordings of concerts and people at the front in the front row holding their phones up just just enjoy the moment yeah just live with it just go with it I, i've never had anyone well, i've never had anyone even try and show me for oh, i went to a gig the other day was it any good yeah here watch this video that i took where you can barely hear anything like you know it, it never exactly. translates no yeah whatever no um, so the, the row itself, this is one thing I meant to ask actually. So the, mm. the, the row, you said you settled from the Canaries and you went east yes. to west. How does that yes. work? Cause doesn't the Gulf flow west to east? Aren't you kind of going against that? No, the Gulf, the kind of way the, the, the Gulf flows west to east from America to the UK, roughly speaking. Right. Then it goes down, uh, the west coast of Africa and Spain and then goes back right the americas right. and the caribbean so you're basically following the, the trade winds yeah um roughly because you there's no way you could row you couldn't row england to america you couldn't row antigua to gomera because you just the, the winds would stop you doing yeah so you've actually got the the current and the winds generally would favor you going going in that direction. exactly that yeah yeah so if you wanted to you could probably row out the east coast of 
Caribbean, the Americas, and then come back from maybe New York to do the return UK. Yeah, obviously that would be crackers. No one wants to do that, but it, it is technically, I would imagine it is technically doable. Yeah, well, that'll be the next thing on your bucket list. No, it won't. <laughs> no, it won't. Um, so there was how many other boats? This was a big event. It was sponsored by Talisker. Um, yes. There was obviously solo rowers that you've mentioned. You were in, in yeah. fours, so there's different divisions. And I believe yes. your crew broke a record for your division. Is that right? That's correct. Yes, it does get a little bit technical here. So, But I saw it were records, so I'm hanging on to that for <laughs> grim death. Um, we are the current world record holders for a mixed crew in a pure boat. Mixed crew in a pure boat. Yeah, but the pure boats being the old-fashioned boats. Got you. And you only have to have one woman in your crew or to make it a mixed crew. Sure. Or you only need to have one uh, man to make it a mixed crew. Yeah, exactly yeah. that. Yes, uh, my sexism. I'm sorry, yeah. I do apologize. <laughs> yes, but yes, effectively. Wow. Um, and it's it was a wonderful thing because I was I feel the pure boats, you have to row much harder because you don't get so much wind assistance. Yeah. Um, um, so it was important for us to go in a pure boat. I'm getting a hipster vibe. You've only just got a smartphone. You did it in the old-fashioned boat, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tell you what, I take that as a compliment. I'm called hipster in my life. <laughs> I'm a 55-year-old bloke who's going grey, I tell you. I think I'm probably past the hipster stage. Oh, never say never. Anyway, I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> so there's other, other boats going on. Did you ever kind of come across any of the other rowers or any of the other crews? We didn't see another boat for 48 days. Wow of any description um they came out on our radar every so often sure but the, fir the first boat we saw was a freighter going to south america i think mm. and that was when we were about we were about two and a half days out because obviously come as as the boats as you come close to land you start to um to funnel in so everyone's going to roughly speaking the same place yeah but the atlantic is so vast and you are so low in the water and the boats, even the freighters, are so small in comparison with the size of the Atlantic that you don't, you, you can not see a soul. So how close do you pass by these freighters? Because those ships are enormous. They're like floating cities. Oh, man, they're big. We, we, we used to do um, uh, training in Southampton Water yeah. as we were going to the Isle of Wight and back. And you know the Oriana, that massive great cruise ship and stuff? We'd come right. quite close to that as, as we were going up and down Southampton Water. The size of those things are terrifying. Yeah. Absolutely terrifying. Um, can can they, they see you? Do you have some kind of transponder to let them know you're there? Yeah. Theoretically, they can see you, as long as someone's paying attention. Yeah. Um, you have this thing called a see-me on your boat, which makes you appear bigger than you actually are. Right. So they do tend to take a bit more notice of you. But, of course, what they'll then do, they'll be curious. So they'll come and investigate. Yeah. And the last thing you want to... A hundred-ton freighter, or you know, x x ten, twenty, thirty thousand tons of freighter to do is come investigate because they will either their wash will get you, or they'll you know their maneuverability isn't what it might be, and neither is yours in the rowing boat because of the wind being what it is. Yeah. And you kind of like to stay away if that's all right, please. You know, we don't really want that close. Yeah. Wow. But obviously, they're curious because they don't seem that people idiots doing this sort of stuff. Sure, and I can imagine a cruise ship going past all these tourists having the sort of prong cocktails on the deck, looking out like, "Oh, I say, <laughs> there's like That's four it. unwashed <laughs> rowers going past." Indeed, <laughs> make sure you're downwind of them, or else the smell will be yeah. ruined. <laughs> you ruin the yeah. holiday. Yeah, yeah. dear P and O. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my holiday is ruined by four horrible smelly rowers <laughs> in a rowing boat. Um, so you did the row for charity, is that right? Yes, that's right. Uh, yes. Tell me a bit about that. 
so we did a chat uh, we did two charities one of which was the marine conservation society we thought was important because given where we were we were important to uh, do stuff for them yeah. we did it for combat stress which is a mental health charity um for ex-military yeah because again we owed them we owed them a lot but we wanted to do also a third charity which was mental health for uh everyday people so we did it for mind wow as yeah well. Uh, because all of us, and me in particular, have, have had mental health issues in the past, and it was going to be such a struggle going across, and just it seemed to be the ultimate mental test of mental health endurance. Sure, yeah, that is, if you're ever going to be in a position that is high stress, away from a familiar environment, with no easy way to get back to, to any sort of familiarity, then no, I think you'd exactly. be beyond going to space. Yeah. I think you'd be hard pushed to sort of replicate those conditions. It's kind of weird because normally you just tend to you. The way I dealt with it, well, firstly I got myself on antidepressants where I went, which kind of flattened things out, which I wish was quite good in hindsight. The other thing that happened was though that you tended to just work within your own environment. Yeah. So it was your little boat and the two miles of horizon of sea you could see before the horizon disappeared, and nothing else mattered that yeah. much. As long as you and your little boat and the immediate vicinity was safe. Then that was quite comforting. Um, the only time I really freaked myself out properly on the boat was when I was in the cabin one day, and we were about halfway across, and I broadened out the GPS just so I could see where we were, and we were <laughs> 1,500 miles from land that way, 1,500 miles from land the other way, 2,000 miles north, 2,000 miles south, and that really freaked me out because it never I've never looked so small and so miles from safety in my entire life. So I squeezed that back in just being too much. <laughs> yeah. let's, let's not look at that. No. Yeah, you mentioned you saw the International Space Station. I imagine the guys on the International mm. Space Station were probably closer to civilization than you would have been at that point. Yeah, I mean certainly in terms of getting back to it, they were certainly easier for them to get back to it than it was for us. Yeah. Because they could have got back in I don't know how long it takes to get back from the ISS down to Earth, nine, ten hours maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Well, they could come well, a lot quicker, but they might not. Well, well yeah, that probably is. It might. You've never got dead or alive, isn't it? I suppose probably. Yeah. So, so yeah, you you kind of made a good point there, which is you know you on these sort of challenges like the the row, you you really kind of strip back a, a lot of the stuff that is acting or could be acting as a sort of trigger or or a stress causing mm. factor because you you have far less to worry about. It's a really you know big challenge to take on. It's tough whether it's rowing the Atlantic, whether you're kind of, you know, walking across the Sahara Desert, climbing a mountain or, or doing anything that's kind of a big endurance challenge is really every day is so simplified. Yeah, Your priorities are eat, do whatever it is you've got to do, you know, put your boots on and walk, grab the oars and row, put your feet in the pedal and cycle, stop and eat, do that some more, sleep, and then you just keep repeating that. And that's the, the summation of, of your worries you know you kind of day-to-day -day life when you think oh this is you know th this is the, the downtime this is my kind of safe environment you've got bills you've got your yeah. commute you've got you know your work to do you've got deadlines you've got to cook dinner you've got laundry you've got to do the dishes you've got to fix that leaky tap you've got to mow the lawn you're like you know what i'm saying this i want to get on a boat and go to the atlantic <laughs> <laughs> but i think yeah, for, for something yeah. that is is beneficial to mental health i think challenges in that respect are, are probably quite underrated is a, is a way for someone to sort of get out of the environment that might be causing certain triggers and just get some time 
with their own headspace, with a kind of really clear goal to focus on with everything else stripped back. Did you find that helped you or that's the, your experience? I think there's a lot there's a lot in that. I do think that um yes, your oh you're pretty much your number one aim is, is to keep yourself alive. That's pretty much your, your main job yeah. when you're out in the ocean and to get across, obviously. But your main job is to is to not die. That's kind of your most important thing. Yeah. And life is really simple. You have no other worries because you, you can't do anything about anything else at all. Um, one of the things that the organisers make you do before you set off is sign a form saying whether you want to be informed if a loved one dies or not while you're away. So, you know, because it's... Yeah, wow. Because, you know, you're away for probably away for eight, nine weeks, maybe. You know, I have parents of a certain age that in the 80s and 90s. There's a, there's a chance that while I'm away, one of them's going to die. Yeah. And do you want to be told? And I put no, because what am I going to do about it? Realistically, yeah. how, are you, you know, how are you going to get back? Exactly. I can't get back. I might as well crack on with the row. It's a, I'm only going to fret the whole time I'm out there about I'm going to obviously be missing him or her or how it was. If you were going white, you know, feel guilty about not being back there and stuff. You've got nothing on your plate, frankly, without, um, without worrying about external forces as well. Did you have this kind of growing sense when you got back? You're like, is there going to be any bad news waiting for me? Was it like Schrodinger's bad news? And you were like, oh, here we go. <laughs> yeah, there was a kind of, there was a, um, that sort of part of the thing as you approach, you do approach the dock with some trepidation. Yeah. Because on the one hand, obviously you're delighted you can't wait off the boat. And you think, what's been happening, you know, in my absence? Can you imagine somebody uh, set off on one of these rows at the start of February? this year and they said yeah don't update us at all and then they land at the other end to find there's just pandemic lockdown everything's gone well funny enough actually there's a there's a crew called neverest who've just done portugal to barbados and they they wanted to do it in the hurricane season god knows why what they did that's insane it is insane it is a completely insane actually and their original uh landing point was french guiana hmm that was their plan. But because of the pandemic and they got blown off course and stuff, they, they tried to get in three different ports. All of them said no, because you, you're, we're riddled and you might catch it. Because they haven't got it because they've been away from the ultimate the quarantine. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, precisely. And ended up in Barbados. So I think, yeah, it does have a even you know, pandemic stretch everywhere. Yeah. You know, no matter how far out of, of touch you think you are. But I think by and large, you're pretty much. And we did get news because if we were, we were going out, at the time when the Brexit thing was coming to a head, all these votes and no confidence motions was coming to a head. So of we course, did, yeah, end of twenty eighteen. We did get informed it? of what exactly, yeah, yeah. But we'd um, we specifically said we don't want any personal stuff. Um, going back to your original point about mental health, yes, I think that up to a point that the four day crossing uh, from Ibiza to Barcelona was definitely a mental health refresher. I found after about six or eight weeks, although. The simplicity was wonderful. The constant having to get up and row and be constantly tired, I felt myself disintegrating slightly yeah. towards the end, and I was very glad. So it does come with its challenges. Sure. Uh, you know, there's a, a real amplification of certain challenges. Uh, you know, you strip back a lot of the, the sort of niff-naff uh, from things, but yeah. those kind of, like you say, the challenges that you do face are important because your main task is to stay alive. And if you don't achieve those aims, then you know it's, the stakes are a lot higher. Um, do you find exactly. that kind of sharpens yeah. the mind, focuses you more on 
uh, what needs to be done? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we the the boat that we have, that we that we have we had and we have was a really solid bit of kit, and it was it's much less skittish than the newer boats, and I never felt in any particular danger when I was in it, partly because obviously the sea was so calm as well. Um, I think the ocean the, the ocean will will find the smallest weakness you have and will work its way into that weakness and make it bigger. It's like gouging, like water gouging out limestone. It just, it will go in there and worm its way in, whether that's a niggle in your knee or a pain in your back or some slight problem with your mental health, it'll worm its way in and just find the weaknesses and make them bigger and, and, and exaggerate them to the, to the point where something, either you defeat, either you get through it or you'll crumble. Wow, that's a really good analogy. Thank you. Yeah. I like that. Um, so, so how do you sort of now that you're kind of back on on dry land on on terra firma? Mm. You mentioned your sort of physical routine, you know, the weightlifting and, and rowing to kind of stay in shape. How do you kind of stay on top of things mentally? Because I think it's too easy for people to only focus on the physical side, you know, when it comes to well being. But obviously, your brain yeah. is is part of your body, and that is all connected in terms of your sort of well being. How do you stay on top of maintaining? mental wellness it's it's a funny thing because i've never i've been on, on and off um mental health um antidepressants for a few years I haven't taken them for a little while I didn't i took them during the row but then stopped yeah well, actually they all got very wet in the last week so they kind of stopped for me <laughs> um and i've always fought taking uh pills because they because they just flatten you out yeah and they 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 ruin they segregate all your emotions which is not a bad thing for ocean road for, for real life it's not ideal um so I'm doing some meditation. Um, I do think, you know, ASMR, does that mean anything to you or not? ASMR, is that like whispering? Type? That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So do you want to explain a bit about what that is for, for the listeners? Yeah. I mean, if you, if when certain people speak in certain types of voice, you get tingles in your spine across your shoulders, then you probably have ASMR. Right. I say have it like it's conditioned, but it's actually a wonderful thing to have. It's because it, I, there are guys out there who, who make these ASMR videos. They're about the most bizarre, banal things like clothes folding and ironing and stuff. But some people themselves who, who get these tingles, I just sit back and I fall asleep to them. They're amazingly relaxing. Right. It's an extraordinary. It's a very odd thing. I don't know how it works, but it's wonderful. Uh, I, I found in ASMR videos, the reason why I said whispering is I was re restoring a wooden chest uh, a few months ago. So I was looking for videos on how to kind of strip back wood and sort of wax and polish it. And I found this thing and it was like ASMR wood restoration. I was like, oh, great. I don't know what the ASMR means. Maybe it's a technical term. And I thought, yeah, yeah. why is this guy whispering as he's doing all this woodwork? <laughs> and then looked into it and that's, you know, it's a whole genre of videos of, like you say, people doing mundane tasks but talking the way through it yeah it's extraordinary but it just for me it really really works um i'm also keeping myself in good shape still i'm eating really well um now the pandemic's here i'm sleeping a lot better than i, than I used to so obviously the pandemic brings in challenges in terms of lack of money lack of work and what's gonna happen next and so on but it's balanced out by the fact i mean i, I do think coffee is a, is a proper evil for me in terms really? of health yeah because i don't i don't drink um so coffee is my kind of drug yeah and when i when i take it i get absolute high it's like it's like taking haribo you just get a massive high follow this deep deep low yeah so i try and avoid caffeine just drink a lot of water go outside more 
eat healthily and exercise. That's kind of, it's not complicated, but it's not always easy to do. Yeah, I think what the last few months have done is give people a lot of opportunity to, you know, outside of the, the difficulties with work and uncertainties, but in terms of giving people time to sit and look at, okay, what do I actually want to prioritize in terms of my well-being and, and kind of taking care of myself? And, you know, like we were saying at the start of, you know, before we kind of started recording, that's one of the motivators for me starting this podcast because I spent the first month or two of lockdown sat on my backside you know not really doing a huge amount and it got to a sort of tipping point where i was like nazi let's make the most of this time let's not you know throw it away and, and kind of look back and think i wish i'd spent it more wisely and i think whether you, you still have that time now whether you uh are kind of back into the swing of things i think it's never too late to look to make those changes you know the, the best time to make the, any changes to your health and well-being was probably yesterday and the second best time is today so you know why not crack yeah, on exactly completely agree yeah, yeah. so um in, in terms of rob coleman uh comedian uh, events professional or uh atlantic rower uh what comes next so you've ticked the atlantic off that bucket list is there anything else on the horizon yeah it turns out that I haven't entirely ticked the Atlantic on a bucket list. Okay. You, you're going to do that loop. You're going to go there and back again. <laughs> no, I'm not. Uh, I am, though, I think going to be doing the crossing again uh, at the end of next year, early 2022. Fantastic. But this time, go mainland to mainland. So I'll go Portugal to French Guyana. Wow. Um, same same boat, different crew. Um, I'm going to, so I'm going to two things out. Two things that... that that niggled me from the last crossing. Firstly, we went island to island. So it's not, doesn't feel quite complete to me because it's not mainland to mainland. Yeah. That's thing one. Second thing, I was antidepressants. So I didn't feel I got the full emotional experience of the crossing. Yeah. So I'd like to possible go without this time. And yes, it'll mean it's tougher, but it also mean that the, the highs are higher. And I think I need that to really get the full experience of the crossing. Wow. And not be not have my emotions flattened out the whole time. Yeah. Did did, so, did it have such a big impact then being on antidepressants? Yes, yeah, absolutely it did. Yeah. I, I I really I mean obviously I can't prove that, but yeah. I really think it did. Um everything was just was just less exciting, good or bad. Yeah. Um so you can find out all about us um m2matlantic4.com. m2matlantic4.com. I will stick that yeah. in the show notes. Thank you very much. And we're raising money for two more charities, <laughs> which I'll try to remember this time. Um, Surfers Against Sewage. Yeah. A good coastal charity. Right? We're trying to save the sea from plastic and trying to be able to pick up the litter and everything else. Um, and Our Blue Light, which is a mental health charity for emergency workers. Wow. Particularly with the last six months, they've had a hell of a oh, time. Oh, completely, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that that so is fantastic. So that is going to be same kind of time frame. So you're out there on on the ocean over sort of Christmas, New Year. Yeah. I mean, I I, I said the crew has got to go back to last Christmas just because I'm hoping next Christmas will be so busy. Yeah. For me, that I can't possibly afford to take take that Christmas period off. Sure. Theoretically, so um, we're looking to take the boat out there just after Christmas 2021 and start the process early jan 2022 wow so what you're out there on the ocean boxing day 
for a row off your turkey uh, dinner. Uh, yeah, sort of, sort of thing. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. So there's so that, and then on the comedy front, um, club wise, who knows what's going to happen over the next six months? But theoretically, uh, I have a new hour long show called The Unexpected Adventurer. Uh, which is because I'm not really an adventurous type, you know. I'd hate the cold, I'm not sure be indoors, frankly, but it seems and this is the one that gets me going every time, yeah. Uh, which will be coming to Brighton and Edinburgh and hopefully a festival near you soon when we're allowed next year. Fantastic. And you have show dates on your website for uh, upcoming gigs, we do, yes. Some of them might not happen, obviously, but just because of the COVID, sure. but theoretically, wow. Yeah. Uh, so I'll put links to all, all of that up there. And if anyone wants not to me. find you on social media, where can they track you down? Uh, they can find me just put uh, Rob Coleman on Facebook under the hairy one <laughs> uh, Twitter at Rob Coleman 100 and Instagram I think it's also Rob Coleman 100 as well I think it's the same thing wow okay they will all be in the show notes if anyone wants to track down Rob so uh, yeah they can track you down they can find out where they can see you online find out more about your next row or yeah uh, ring you up and ask you to sing them a sea shanty there we go yeah. job done <laughs> <laughs> thanks a lot Rob I've enjoyed this chat it's been a pleasure me too. Thanks for having me. I really Thanks. enjoyed it. That was Rob Coleman and a most enjoyable chat. Uh, you can catch his show, The Unexpected Adventurer, at festivals next summer. Check out his links in the show notes to find out more and where you can see more of Rob. I love the image of just being out there in the ocean, you know, sitting in a boat, stars above you, watching the whales just this sense of complete silence and isolation you know being miles away from anywhere there's no quick route home when you sat in the middle of the Atlantic um, but there is something really romantic about that idea um, I am less keen on the idea of crapping into a bucket in front of three other people but you've got to take the rough with the smooth uh, I also think we covered some important ground about the mental health benefits of taking on challenges you know obviously rowing the Atlantic is a massive challenge but whatever it is, setting yourself a goal, working hard to achieve it, that can have a huge impact on your outlook. You know, I've already banged on about this in past episodes, but it is true. You know, it could be setting a goal to lose a certain amount of weight. It could be doing a, just a one kilometer run or walking to the next town over. Whatever it is, you do it, you push yourself further, just that little bit further, and the next time you try, it'll be a little bit easier. And you just keep doing that until you push yourself to the next stage. That's the theory anyway. No sponsors this week. So all that is left for me to say is hit that subscribe button, you filthy animals. And check us out on social media. We are at CouchKickerPod on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. I'll see you all next time. Bye-bye.